0: In Russia, there are two letters, ye yeah, and yo. Yo has dots above it, and in, in, in the Russian language and the written Russian language, the dots often disappear. So when I uh, when I uh, received my passport, my foreign passport, the uh, police authority they just they just ignored the dots. But uh, I have a more interesting story. Actually, one of my uh, PhD students who already got his PhD. His name is Simeon. Semyon. So, in English, his name was transcribed as Semen. Sem- oh, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Welcome to the Slavic Connection.
0: Today, I have on Dr.
1: Artem Lukin, professor from Vladivostok, who's in Austin to give a lecture about uh, North Korea and mm-hmm. the great powers and their role. So I think you guys will have a lot of fun listening to this episode.
0: Brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin.
1: Uh, Dr. Luke, and welcome.
0: Thank you very much, and actually, it's uh, my pleasure to be here. So I understand that you've come to the
1: U.S. fairly often for for academic uh, sessions and whatnot, yeah, but are I, you in Texas for the first time?
0: Well, actually, it's my second time to Austin, uh-huh. and uh, I'm very grateful to Kazmetsky Center at St. Edward's University uh-huh. for... For inviting me for a second time already, so my first time to Texas was a couple of years ago, uh-huh. uh, and uh, well, Austin seems like a very interesting place. Actually, it's yeah. a, it's not typical Texas. Yeah, <laughs> uh, certainly. So yeah. When, I f- uh, when I first came here, I was you know a little bit surprised. It uh, broke all my uh, previous you know thinking about, about Texas. Uh,
1: uh-huh.
0: <laughs> well, mm-hmm. and
1: so you're giving uh, a lecture at St. Edwards uh, University. What is this lecture about?
0: Well, actually, uh, this time uh, I'm doing a lot of stuff uh, <laughs> uh, every day. So I'm here from uh, Sunday to to, to Thursday. Uh-huh. So each day, giving some talks and uh-huh. workshops and conferences. Sure, so we, sure. we've got a double conference at St. Edward's, uh, which, which was held yesterday and the day before yesterday. And today I'm giving a talk at uh, Global Austin. And tomorrow, I think I will give a lecture to St. Edward's students on really? Russia, North Korea. And
1: yeah, I think... North Korea is a very interesting case. I know that, you know, in the United States, we certainly see a lot of news about it right now, and there's the North Korea nuclear crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, I was wondering, you know, for our listeners, if you could describe kind of how North Korea is talked about in Russia. Is it talked about as a, as kind of a, a serious threat or a crisis, or how is kind of the issues revolving around North Korea's nuclear program discussed in Russia?
0: Well, of course, uh, I think everyone these days uh, talks about North Korea uh, to some degree. Uh, uh, But, you know, in Russia, I think a crucial difference uh, in how the Americans and the Russians perceive North Korea is that in Russia, we don't see North Korea as a threat even though North Korea is a nuclear armed state already we are not really afraid of it because we know that North Korean nukes are not directed against Russia so we believe that North Korea went nuclear in order to in order to defend itself in order to guarantee its own security rather than attack you know anyone least of all Russia uh, so I think many Russians uh, they even feel some respect for North Korea uh, because uh, the North Koreans are viewed as a you know fiercely independent nation mm-hmm. who defend their sovereignty and you know independence in the face of the uh, U.S. Mm-hmm. um goliath I would mm-hmm. say <laughs> so it's like uh, metaphorically it's like uh David versus goliath mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, David is definitely the dPRK the Democratic People's Republic of Korea right. so uh to sum up there is not uh, a lot of you know love for, right. for North Korea uh, in Russia because it's really very kind of peculiar regime yeah <laughs> yeah uh, frankly it's for yeah. a country with you know brutal political regime, but still we feel some respect right. for 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 North Korea and the North Koreans. Yeah, and and mm-hmm. kind of
1: in in Russia, is there a, kind of a way is is the the reunification of the Korean Peninsula? Is it something that's talked about as kind of a policy goal for Russia, or not? Mm. Not really.
0: Well, I would say that Russia is probably uh, one of the few countries. Uh, which is really uh, interested uh, in Korean reunification. because course, if you uh, look at China, for example, I don't think that China mm-hmm. is actually interested in Korean unification because a unified Korean state uh, is set to become a major power because it's, it will be 75 million people almost like you know germany yeah Uh, they will have powerful economy probably they will keep nuclear weapons so it will be uh, almost like a great power which uh, will be very difficult to absorb into Chinese sphere of influence because they're Chinese. They have traditionally viewed the Korean peninsula, Korea as the tributary state, as their young brother. Right, right. Yeah, Uh, and it's uh, divide and rule, so it's uh, always better to keep your... You know, to keep your neighbors divided, to to control them. So Mm -hmm. I think that's China's unstated policy, even though, of course, rhetorically and publicly, uh, they support eventual reunification of the two Koreas. Japan, as you probably know, Japan has a lot of historical problems uh, with Korea. Uh, and uh, there is a lot of hostility in Korea, both South and North Korea towards Mm -hmm. Japan. Yes. So when and if a unified Korea emerges, it will be, it might become hostile power towards Japan and... Uh, big economy, nuclear weapons. <laughs> so again, right. I doubt that Japan would be interested in Korean unification. The U.S., you know, the U.S. is only interested in Korean reunification if a unified Korea remains a U.S. ally, right? Uh, which allows uh, U.S. troops on its soil. But uh, whether the U.S. would be interested in a unified Korea if Uh, a unified Korea would choose to be neutral, you know, it's a big question. Maybe it will or maybe it will not. Uh, So all in all, I think Russia is probably uh, the only major power uh, around the Korean Peninsula which is truly interested uh, in Korean reunification. We believe that Korea's unified power will contribute to a uh, stable multipolar balance of power in our station which will prevent uh, hegemony which will help prevent hegemony of any one dominant power in you know, station be it the US or China so geopolitically i think a unified korea is good for russia and historically it's important that russia has never had any major uh, conflicts or problems with korea we have no border disputes we have no you know uh, we have no historical grudges right. so we don't fear a big unified korean state, even if it's armed with nuclear weapons. Well, but uh, that said, the Russian policymakers and experts, uh, they strongly believe that uh, unification is not possible in the foreseeable future. It's a long term uh, Mm -hmm. prospect at best. So we think that you shouldn't hasten uh, Korean unification. It it should come naturally uh, over or the long-term evolution. Right, mm-hmm. right.
1: As probably through domestic political mm-hmm, processes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's fascinating. Do you consider yourself an expert on, on certain countries in the area, or really, really kind of the, the whole uh, Asian-Pacific area, Russian Chinese relations and then Russian Japanese Well frankly
0: uh, I don't speak any Asian languages uh, I only speak uh, English among foreign languages so I can't claim to be a, a China expert right, or a Japan right, expert but when it comes to Russia's relations with yeah. those countries I, I think I can say something yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. In the United States people are talking a lot about uh, how you know China and Russia are you know our friends right in these close, close relations between mm-hmm. the, the two countries mm-hmm. uh, historically that hasn't been the case we know about how during you know during the communist times there was, you know, con, you know, considerable conflicts with between uh, China mm-hmm. and the Soviet Union. A lot of which was kind of kept under wraps and very secret, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. was pretty um, mm-hmm. um, was was also really kind of well known. And then you had mm-hmm. you know Nixon's famous trip to China, which mm-hmm. which changed everything. Mm-hmm. And then even Russia had kind of border. Res- disputes with China up mm-hmm. until the 2000s and okay. these are along the river mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. kind of what is your perspective hmm. of kind of where Uh, Chinese-Russian relations are today and how Mm -hmm. kind of people in Russia see them going forward?
0: Okay, you know, (laughs) being in Texas, uh, I think uh, one useful analogy to think about uh, the Russia-China relationship is to compare it to the U.S.-Mexican relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if you look at uh, the two cases, uh, you know, striking similarities. You Mm -hmm. know, around the same time, both Russia and the U.S. annexed quite, you know, sizable chunks of lands. So Russia took huge territories from, from China, right. coercing or just persuading, or coercing mm-hmm. you can use <laughs> either word, China to sign, you know, border treaties in 1858 and 1860. Uh, and around the same time, the U.S. you know defeated Mexico and took you know Texas and some other you know, territories uh, from Mexico. And just as Russia and China, uh, the USA and Mexico have had kind of a complex history of bilateral relations. But the US and Mexico, are, I think you yeah. can call them friends and very yeah. close partners. Yeah. Uh, you don't threaten each other with war anymore. <laughs> even though you had wars. Mm-hmm. You used to have wars in the past. You know, you are members of one economic integration area and, you know, I think it will it will survive despite, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> Donald Trump <laughs> uh, even. Uh, so I think uh, the same logic applies to, to the Russia-China relationship. Yes, we have had a... Uh, complex and controversial history, uh, and our first contact happened, you know, in the 17th century. So it's been already, you know, almost four centuries of this mutual relationship. Uh, but it's important to remember that, uh, unlike the U.S. and Mexico, by the way, we've never had a major war. Yes, there have been border clashes, mm-hmm. border conflicts, but never major war. Mm-hmm. Never. Uh, yes, and uh, yes, we have had bad episodes in our relationship, but you know there have been also mm-hmm. a lot of positive mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, it's not as simple as that. Right. When you know people and some experts say that. You know, Russia and China, they they have always been enemies, and now they are displaying this friendship. You Mm. know, it's not for real. They will will come, they will descend into conflict Uh very soon again. Well, I don't just buy it. Uh It's much more complex than that. And I think both China uh, and Russia, uh, they have learned the history lesson uh, and we are very much uh, we are very much aware that we cannot afford to become adversaries again. It just doesn't benefit right. either party. So what benefits us is to be good neighbors. Good neighbors. Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure whether we can call China and Russia, you know, true friends. Uh-huh. Well, are you friend true friends, with Mexico? Probably not you, but your partners, right? Probably you're friends with uh, Britain. Yeah. Yeah, but with Mexico, I'm not sure. So again, uh, I'm absolutely confident that we are partners with Russia, strategic partners. Uh-huh. That so that's a very true description, even though it's official one, but it's very true, Uh it's real. Strategic partnership is real. And, uh, well, I am sure that uh, it will remain this way. Of course, there are certain risks uh, which should be kept in mind, at least by Russian policy makers. Again, as I said, back in the 19th century when Russia was strong and China was weak, uh, Russia kind of took advantage. Right. Of this situation, so theoretically, some at some point in the future, maybe in fifty years, China could, you know, uh, reclaim what right. it what it uh, think it lost yeah. uh, to Russia in the nineteenth century. Uh, you know, there is such a risk, but so far it's quite hypothetical. And uh, I think that uh, as long as as Russia is a nuclear power. We shouldn't fear that. Right. I'm so it's, fascinated. It's always good to have nuclear weapons. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm, I am, I'd never heard this analogy with Mexico mm-hmm. before, but it is kind of interesting in a lot of ways. And yeah. mm-hmm. I'm interested in the extent to which in Russia people are concerned about illegal immigration mm-hmm. from China because okay. when, when I was in mm-hmm. Russia, that mm-hmm. was some a, tomi- a topic that actually... Did
0: come up and it's kind of almost the stereotype. In Udmurtia, yes, even in Udmurtia and. Did you see any Chinese uh, migrants in Zhebsk? Oh,
1: <laughs> I don't I mean I don't think migrants. I mean I, I there was there were foreign students um, from China, but mm-hmm. but there was kind of you know people were aware of it, and some people I had met were kind of concerned about it. Mm-hmm. So my my question is is mm-hmm. kind of um, are people in in your kind of expert opinion are is illegal immigration from china considered a problem by policy yeah yeah makers? yeah it's
0: a good question again it uh, i uh, keep being asked this question very often and uh, you know i understand why there is no such problem as uh, chinese illegal migration anymore so we used to have uh, this problem probably back in the 1990s decades ago uh, but no longer uh, for several reasons first you know Chinese population is shrinking I mean at least those segments of population which are of younger ages those people who tend to migrate yeah, so the absolute uh, size of Chinese population in absolute terms, I think, from 2030, it's, it's going to, to decline. So uh, China generates fewer and fewer potential migrants, and those Potential migrants that China does have, you know, they prefer to migrate not to Russia, mm-hmm. Texas, you know, <laughs> France, Britain, Australia. Like any normal humans, uh, Chinese prefer to move into richer and you know warmer areas, not to the <laughs> Russian Far East and Siberia. And by the way, uh, the northeastern China, or Donbei in Chinese, or uh-huh. Manchuria, traditional name, uh, its population is already declining wow. in absolute terms. Uh-huh. So not only the Russian Far East is losing population; yeah. it's only it's also the northeastern mm-hmm. China, which yeah. borders Russian Far East, and is losing population. So it's a depressive economic area so it's very much like the russian forest uh-huh. so uh, i think the russian forest has already you know a sufficient number of chinese residents so we just uh, economically uh-huh. it just doesn't make any sense for any more chinese to move into the russian uh-huh. forest because it just they, just have nothing for them to do or to make money on. So probably uh, there are different estimates, but I think we have no more than 40,000 more or less permanent Chinese residents all over the huge territory of the Russian Far East. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think even in Moscow there are more. Uh, Chinese oh, than very, the Russians. It's just because economically, you right, right, uh, know, right. it's much easier to make money in Russia. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the Russian state, it, it's now much stronger than it was in the 1990s. There are all kinds of uh, ways and tools to control migration. So it's almost impossible for, for, an, for an illegal migrant to, to last long uh-huh. in Russia. Be it uh, Chinese or Korean or Vietnamese or an American documents. It's probably yeah, yeah. Documents, you know, video surveillance. You know, you you know the stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I think the next topic um, I'd like to touch on is Russian-Japanese relations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If if you're not against it, sure. Um, And because. uh, recently, this whole topic of the Kuril Islands mm-hmm. has come up again. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so, you know, for our listeners who don't know, it's a long border uh, dispute that's, uh, that's been between mm-hmm. uh, uh, Japan and, and Russia. Uh, and it's part of the reason for it is because these islands were you know, part of Russia, then they were part of Japan, and then Russia or the Soviet Union never concluded a, a, a peace agreement. With Japan, and so Mm -hmm. these islands are still uh, disputed. But you know, I I was wondering Mm -hmm. kind of why this topic came up again. And I I looked up on the internet, and apparently there was another round of negotiations in in March, just a few days ago, about this question. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, kind of to uh, you can answer the question broadly, but I'd also like to answer the more narrow question of, you know, what do you think is the likelihood that. That Russia would be willing to uh, cede sovereignty of some of these islands because I know it was it was discussed, it was floated on people like mm-hmm. uh, you know the the state television channels. But then there were counter protests, and no, oh, no, never, mm-hmm. ever, we can't mm-hmm. give these places up. So how do you see this situation resolving itself?
0: Huh. Well, uh, while you were speaking, uh, another historical analogy sprang up my mind uh, this time it's not about texas you know it's about you know gibraltar uh-huh. and spain uh-huh. and yeah the uk yeah. you know yeah. actually it's for the first time that uh, this analogy yeah. occurred to me so thank you I, I will use it maybe in my writing <laughs> actually you know uh, i'm afraid that uh, the curial the south Kuril islands problem will Last as long as this Gibraltar uh, problem, yeah. if, you, if you remember from the history of international right, relations. Right. So uh, England uh, seized Gibraltar from Spain as a result of the war of the Spanish succession yes. in <laughs> the early 18th uh-huh. century. Uh-huh. So uh, this problem has not been resolved in three centuries, even though Spain continues to claim back Gibraltar, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm afraid we'll have the same with Japan. Yeah. Uh, and Russia took control uh, of the islands in 1945 uh, as a basically as a war trophy uh, in the Second World War, and this was agreed, by the way, at the Yalta Conference, uh, so... Uh, Roosevelt and Churchill, Mm -hmm. they agreed to Stalin's demand that uh, the Soviet Union should be rewarded with um, the South Kuril Islands uh, for its entry into war against Japan. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, kind of the decision by the allies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's why uh, we in Russia believe that uh, we legitimately took the islands from Japan, even though, frankly, uh, until 1945, uh, and here I agree with the Japanese, uh, the islands uh, had never been Russian. Uh, They had been uh, controlled and populated by the Japanese, but Mm -hmm. then, you know, war is war. So it's our war price, and we think it's quite legitimate. Uh, So, uh, actually, uh, the only way to resolve the problem, uh, I think, is to reach some compromise. And uh, the only option for compromise which I see is to is uh, if Japan agrees to to get just two smaller mm, islands. Uh, right. So there are four islands right. in dis- which are in dispute. Uh, the two bigger ones, uh, Kunashir and Eturub, which are really yes. big, which yes. are really yes. significant in strategic and economic terms. And a lot of people, Russian people, live on them. So there is no way Russia is going to return them to Japan. But the two smaller ones, Shikatan and Habomai, Uh, Well, they can be negotiated and actually uh, it's uh, about them that the current negotiations uh, are going on between Putin and Shinzo Abe. So the question is what price uh, Japan is willing to pay for for the return of those smaller islands because definitely Russia is not going just to transfer them to Japan for free. Right, yeah. We would like some, you know, security guarantees Uh that, for example, that the islands will not host, you know, any military bases, including U.S. bases in the future, that no, for example, no missile defense facility will be based on them. Of course, we would like to get some financial compensation because the islands have rich fishing grounds Uh among them. Uh, And for example, people, the Russian people who live on them and who will have probably to leave, uh, they need to be compensated. So it's a complex issue, Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Putin has never said, it's important, he has never said that Russia is not going to transfer the islands to Japan, uh-huh. so he always keeps hinting that under certain conditions, uh, if the terms are right, uh, the compromise could be reached. So uh, the thing is to 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 really find this, you know, middle ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a complex problem, yeah. and uh, another thing is to. To secure domestic support, both in Japan and Russia, for this compromise, mm-hmm. uh, which is also not going to be easy, easy yeah, for both sides. So, uh, so I think uh, it's not quite likely that this problem will be resolved soon. But uh, you know, anything is possible. I think sure. we can't rule out a breakthrough. Yeah. For example, Putin goes to to Japan in June for the G20 summit, maybe. Just maybe something will come out of it. Yeah. So maybe uh, he and Abba are having some, you know, secret yeah. talks because <laughs> they meet one on one very yes, often, and yes, uh, yes. they're talking about something. Yes. Probably yes. something is in the works. Yes, uh, I don't know yes. because it's uh, held and uh, tight uh, uh-huh. secret. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, and you you brought up a big point about how domestically in each country they'll be able to sell mm-hmm. the, the compromise, that mm-hmm. actually might be one of the biggest mm-hmm. <laughs> issues because, I mean, yeah, even in, in Russia, I know that there were some kind of protests and kind of meetings uh, mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. Uh, giving the Karels back. And I know that in Japan, there's all kinds of stuff related to that. Do you think that making that sell will be possible, say, in, in Russia?
0: Yes, if Putin makes this decision, yes, because the Kremlin controls right. a powerful and efficient media machine. Right. So, if uh, the Kremlin gives an yes. order to to the Russian TV, so the Russian TV will, you know, convince most of the Russians that uh, it's a good it's deal a good for deal. Russia. Yeah, I and I think it's really, yeah, it's, it could really be a good deal, beneficial Absolutely. to to Russia. Uh, Actually, you know, half-jokingly, I think if Japan uh, pays us 20 billion US dollars plus some security guarantees. We could give up the, the two sm- smaller, yeah. the two smaller islands <laughs> yeah. because you know strategically uh, they don't, they are not as significant, right. Uh, right. they are not as significant. So our, our security will not be compromised, and economic compensation will be provided. Uh, not too many Russians live there. So, uh, and they're much closer, it's true, they're much closer to Hokkaido than uh, to Russia. So, uh, I think uh, Putin could be pragmatic in this regard. And he definitely wants to, to leave some foreign policy legacy, yeah, legacy not, not only yeah. Crimea, but maybe something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. He, he has already got <laughs> Crimea for Russia, yeah. so uh, no one will question his patriotic credentials. Right. 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 <laughs> right,
1: right. Right. That's an that's an interesting point. Yeah. 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 I'd like to give you this opportunity. Are there any issues in the mm-hmm. Asian Pacific space that you know you think that Americans might have a incorrect perception?
0: Huh. I think uh, the Americans have quite a lot of incorrect perceptions. Uh-huh. <laughs> De- definitely, but uh, well, you know, I think seriously, uh, if we look at uh, the U.S.-Russian relations, there are many areas where we have disagreements and even conflicts all over the world, Uh, but uh, I guess that the Asia-Pacific is one place where uh, our interests uh, align in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, definitely North Korea, Mm -hmm. Uh, neither the US nor Russia want to have war on the Korean Peninsula. Yeah, as I said, uh, the Russians do understand uh, why North Koreans have sought and got uh, nuclear weapons, but it doesn't mean that we love this fact, right, of course. Right. Uh, Russia would ideally want uh, North Korea's denuclearization, and I think Moscow is sincerely interested in contributing uh, to resolving uh, the North Korea nuclear problem, and we are willing to help the US with that diplomatically so again this uh question of arising china yes we are partners with china but again there are risks and yes china i have to admit nationalism nationalism is becoming a truly potent force in china and who knows Mm -hmm. how it will you know develop So potentially that's a risk. And, uh, well, I don't think Russia will agree to participate in the containment of China. But at least, you know, uh, Russia could be uh, uh, an important element in some... Uh, balance of power arrangement in in the Asia-Pacific. So that's another potential area of diplomatic collaboration between Russia and the U.S. And uh, don't forget that uh, we are neighbors across the Bering Mm -hmm. Strait. So it's very sad, indeed, that today uh, the level of economic and political cooperation of Russia and the U.S. in the Asia-Pacific is... It's minimal. It's Mm -hmm. really non-existent. And again, it's very lamentable. It's very sad that last year and I think in 2017, the U.S. government... Closed, uh, ordered close to Russian consulates on the U.S. Pacific yeah, Coast yeah. in Seattle and San Francisco. Yeah. So today, Russia has no consul and diplomatic representation on the U.S. West Coast. Actually, when it happened, uh, we in Vladivostok we were afraid that Moscow would retaliate <laughs> by closing uh, uh, the, US con- the, uh, the U.S. the right. U.S. Consul General in Vladivostok. That would be the most
1: symmetrical uh, answer, as in, they like
0: to. But do. they chose to to close. To to eliminate uh, the U.S. consulate and St. 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 Petersburg. Petersburg. Yeah. Fortunately for us, of mm-hmm. course. Again, uh, it, anyway, it, it's not a good thing. So I think I think it's really vital uh-huh. that Russia and the U.S. normalize their uh-huh. relations. So uh-huh. what's going on right now between our two countries is just yeah. abnormal. It it should not be this yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say it's uh, it's the Americans who are exclusively to blame for what's happening. So I think both sides have contributed to this situation. Well, but we need to find a way mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah. Are, you, are, mm-hmm. you, are you optimistic? Well, I'm cautiously optimistic. Probably it's a cycle, uh-huh. you know, because if you look at the U.S., Russian relations, it's a cyclical pattern, yeah. and I hope that probably we are at the lowest point or, right. or near to it, and sooner or right. later it will get, it will begin to, to get better, especially now when the Mueller report yeah. uh, has been out and no evidence of ah, collusion clear. has been found, but, yeah. but still there is a lot of you know, hysteria, anti-Russian hysteria in the US, which is, which is absolutely irrational. So it's uh, emotional, it doesn't have to do with the US-Russian relations per se, it's a purely domestic American thing, and uh, it impacts on, on the relationship between two great powers who are actually responsible for, in many ways, for maintaining the international order, the international security.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how American attitudes towards Russia kind of change and evolve in the coming years mm-hmm. because on the one hand I think that I think a lot of Americans are just really aghast and right as you said, there was a lot of um, emotional reaction to the the Russian mm. interference in the uh, in the election, which mm-hmm. I know is you know disputed by people in Russia but the, I think the dangerous part of of that attack and the way it was politicized is that once an issue becomes politicized in the United States, it becomes very hard to unpoliticize it, um, and so for that reason, yeah, I, I also am kind of concerned about. How U.S. Russian relations are gonna mend themselves, mm-hmm. but but I, but like you, I want... it takes time. It takes time, and I want to be cautiously optimistic. So,
0: by the way, uh, I've got a question for you. You know, uh, yeah, certainly in D.C. Uh, or in New York, the atmosphere is toxic uh, when it comes to Russia. But how about Texas? You know, Texas is solidly Republican, So yes. my are. Uh, My guess, uh, my assumption would be that here, uh, probably there is less uh, anti-Russian feelings, probably. (laughs) true?
1: Well, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I should have shown you.
0: Probably not on UT campus because uh, the university campuses tend to be uh, pro-democrats. pro Sure. Right? sure. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: But, uh, you know, it's interesting. Texas is was a red state for a long time. It's been mm-hmm. trending in one direction recently. Um, mm-hmm. If you looked at the most recent 2018 Senate, Election, the Republican won by only two and a half percentage mm. points, mm. so it was very close. Mm-hmm. But in general, I mean, mm-hmm. it's important to note that there's the uh, general consulate of Russia in Houston, yes. which I've been to actually a few times and gotten visas from. Mm-hmm. And there's also obviously a big Russian diaspora yeah. in mm-hmm. Texas, and I think those are things that can kind of you know act as a stepping stones, doing you know citizen diplomacy and improving. Uh, improving the relationship and I should have shown you we have out in our lobby uh, a copy of the the newspaper of the Russian diaspora. It's called Nash Texas. Nash
0: great um, <laughs> What I showed it to my
1: friends, they said, "Matt, it sounds like Krim Nash," <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. it's hard for me to read. But mm-hmm. but no, but it's a it's a wonderful little uh, diaspora newspaper. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so no, I think that I think that I know that in Russia it kind of often gets tracted as anti-Russian sentiment. I mean, I don't really I don't see it that way. I think it's it's you know just just like in this probably in Russia I don't think Russian people are you know anti-American it's that you know you have disagreements with government and the. And the leadership, and so I—I I mean, I don't—I don't particularly feel anti-Russian uh, hysteria, uh, and certainly not—I don't think—in Texas.
0: But. Yeah, compared to some other places in the U.S. Maybe, I mean, yeah, yeah, maybe because D.C. is real yeah. tough case yeah. in this yeah. regard. So mm-hmm, they use establishment, they use media, people just crazy about Russia. <laughs> I hope it will change, but uh, yeah, as you mentioned, it takes time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. irrational.
1: Well, I mean, I, I guess. On on that note, Dr. Lucan, thank you so much for coming and talking with us today. Thank it was a you, real man. pleasure thank to you, meet Michelle. you. Yeah,
0: great, great. I hope uh, I'm not fired after, after I get back to the real <laughs> <little> stock. <laughs> <laughs> no, I doubt, that. I doubt that will be. Um, then I hope uh, UT will give I mean, me some job here. <laughs> if I'm fired, yeah. <laughs> um, just The views, opinions, and ideas expressed on this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the show or the University of Texas. Thank you for listening to The Slavic Connection. Please visit slavxradio.com for more information and to subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel.
1: As always, we invite listener feedback, so please send us your comments. The
0: Slavic Connection is produced by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you.